0: We are together with the great Rabbi Shmuly Botnick, my brother-in-law. He's been on the podcast before. He's developed a reputation for himself with, you know, tremendous genius and and Torah knowledge. And he sends me a text, and he says, "Yaakov, I have something so special I got to share with you for the month of Cheshvan." We know that the the months that we have there's. You know, the, of course, January, February, secular, Gregorian calendar, the Jewish calendar. We have actually Persian names. We're now Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan, the first day of Cheshvan. And Rabbi Botnik prepared an exquisite message, or actually the truth is I don't even know what he prepared. Usually he sends me his notes ahead of time. I don't know. I'm coming in blind. But he prepared something really wonderful and delightful and brilliant, as uh, he has demonstrated in the past. And uh, we said, let's just sit together, and we'll record it, and we'll share it with the world. And uh, again, it's so wonderful to have you here, Rabbi Botnik. Thank you so much for coming here and sharing your brilliance and your wisdom with us.
1: All right. Anytime, Rabbi, thank you for having me. So, Chashven, it's it's kind of a fun month to work with because there's really nothing obvious about it. It doesn't have any holidays, so if you're going to talk about Kislave. It's kind of a slam dunk that you're going to get some Hanukkah in there. But Cheshven, you have no idea where I'm going to go because there's really nothing guiding you in terms of what the, what the specific uniqueness of the
0: month is. So we just finished the month of Tishrei that has all the festivals, where Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and all the appendaged festivals to that. It's a packed month, a lot of going on. You look at the Jewish calendar, month of cheshven, nothing going, nothing going on.
1: Nothing at all going on. And the little we do know seems to be rather negative. So even, let's just start with the zodiac sign, which is always a good place to start. So it's called Scorpio in English, or in Hebrew, it's Akrev, which means scorpion. And that's not just a symbol. As we know that every month um, it has some sort of character that is being portrayed in the uh, through the zodiac sign, and that really defines its spiritual significance. So, an acrave has a very negative connotation. Um, we are taught that a scorpion has a, a more of a venomous or, or more of a murderous a bite than a snake does. That's what the Talmud tells us. So, you got to ask yourself if the zodiac sign that governs in Cheshvan is a scorpion. What does that mean for us? Is there any sort but of we, positive we, message?
0: If we could just slow down here, just dumb it down for me. We actually believe in this astrology? We believe in the Zodiac stuff? <laughs> so I, I think
1: we kind of, is we, that real? Well, we predate it because it's all recorded in what's called the Sefer Yetzirah, which we don't know exactly where that comes from, but we know that it's extremely ancient. It, it predates the Zohar by centuries. So I think we predate whatever the, the Greek mytholicism is, about the zodiac signs. So yeah, I mean I think it definitely has a Jewish source to it.
0: But again to clarify, the the zodiac sign of this month coincides with you know the Greek mythology of this month as well, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Scorpio so okay. Scorp- okay. Scorpio so a, okay. is
1: Akrave, which is Hajma.
0: Okay. All right, so, I mean, that and, and, and that... and that and that, reveals, can we say, that reveals some of the power, some of the opportunity, some of the essence of the month.
1: Yes, it does. All right, and the okay. Sefer B'nai Yisachar, okay. which is, it's kind of the go-to Sefer whenever you're trying to uncover the secret of a month, he always starts with the zodiac sign. So he jumps right into it, uh, right at the beginning of his chapter on this month, and begins... Um, with, with the idea of the akrave, trying to understand what its inner meaning is. And that's how we're going to, that's kind of what's going to guide us through our share Today is also, what is this akrave? What is this scorpion? What does it mean? And what can we learn from it? Sounds good, Rabbi me I'm excited. Let's go. All right. So, interestingly, uh, it's not all negative. The B'nai Saskar which I just mentioned, also quotes a very obscure medrash, which is, almost overly positive. And he quotes this medrash, which is in, in the Yalkut in Malachim, which says that we know, we're taught in the Navi, that Shlomo Malach inaugurated the Beis HaMikdash, the first temple which he built, he inaugurated it in the month of Tishrei. All right, so they celebrated, it was right around Sukkot's time when they celebrated the inauguration of the first Beis HaMikdash, the Bnei Sashar uh, quotes a medrash that says, originally he had actually finished building the Beis HaMikdash in the month of Cheshvan, our month, and then he got some sort of heavenly message which said, do not inaugurate the Beis HaMikdash just yet, wait another year, or right under a year. He waited another 11 months and inaugurated the Beis HaMikdash in Tishrei, and Hashem said, all right, Cheshven, I feel bad for you because you missed an opportunity to be the month of the Beis HaMikdash. So I'm going to pay you back with the bias Shlishi. So the third temple, which will be built hopefully very soon, is going to be built in the month of Cheshven, or at least inaugurated in the month of Cheshven. So says the Bnei Saschar in the name of the Yaka.
0: Okay, so we, we just finished the month of Tishrei, the month that has all the festivals, that is the same month that Solomon dedicated, uh, inaugurated temple, the first temple. It was actually finished, it was complete, it was ready to go the previous year in the month of Cheshvan, which is the month that comes right after Tishrei, but they put it on ice for 11 months to wait for Tishrei, but as a consolation prize, the third temple will be built or will be inaugurated in the month of Cheshvan. Now, what, what, what month was the second temple inaugurated? Do we know that? Yeah,
1: so the tells us um, that, that the inauguration of the second temple is considered to be on Chanukah because that's, I, I guess, I don't fully understand it just yet. Maybe we'll talk about it in Kislev, but... Because that's when the miracle happened and that's when they were able to, I guess, really bring some element of shekhinah down to the second of Mikdash. because we know the second Beis of Mikdash was it was really void of shekhinah The one time that there was this divine appearance was on Chanukah. so it was considered that Kislev is the
0: inauguration of so e- even the though the time. Hanukkah miracle happened a couple of, a couple of Hundred. decades really centuries, centuries yeah. into the second yeah into the second Temple era the actual inauguration is in the story of Hanukkah which is the month of Kislev which is the month that comes after the current month of of Cheshvan but uh, Temple number three which coincides with Messiah is that right. Uh, yeah, right. Those temple, are, right yeah, so, so, Temple number three is going to be inaugurated in the month of the Right, which,
1: I mean, once you're on that, it's just interesting to note that those are three consecutive months, right? So, that's um, Tishrei is one, Cheshvin is three, and Kislev is two. Um, this is not the topic of the Shir, but that in itself has a lot of significance um, because the the first base of Mekdash is Avram Avinu, the second base of Mekdash is Yitzchak, the third is Yaakov, and Kabbalistically, Yaakov is considered to be in between. His father and his grandfather. He's, he's situated spiritually in between um, Avram and Yitzchak, and that's why the month of Cheshvan, which is the third, basically, is in between um, Tishrei and Kislev. But that's not the topic of this year. Okay. Okay. So moving along, one very significant episode that occurred in the month of Cheshvan is also very bizarre and a very tragic episode that we learn about in Malachim, and that's the story of Yeravim ben Nevat. So I can give you a quick rundown of the story, Rabbi. Well, we could probably give you a better rundown. Do you want to try? or
0: No, you go ahead. All right. You so, go ahead. So, okay, Don't put me so, in the spot here. In a, nutshell,
1: <laughs> in a nutshell, Yeravim ben Nevat was from the tribe of Ephraim, so he's a descendant of Yosef, because so Ephraim was the son of Yosef. He has his own tribe, and Yeravim descends from him. He was something of an affiliate of Shlomo HaMalach. So Shlomo HaMalach is the son of David HaMalach, and Shlomo HaMalach at the time was the king. And for various reasons, uh, it's complicated exactly what Shlomo did wrong, but Hashem is he's displeased with, with Shlomo. And he sends him a message saying that since you did these various uh, devious acts, the kingship is going to be torn away From you. That's the message that Shlomo is sent. Yeruvam then approaches Shlomo. I'm not sure if Yeruvam was aware of this prophecy or not. Either way, he seems to have been the divine messenger to carry out the prophecy. He approaches Shlomo and he reprimands him for something which seems political. Uh, Apparently Shlomo Hamalech had blocked off certain entranceways to Yerushalayim. Made it more difficult for people to enter Yerushalayim. Uh, they had to go through like the central gateway and then they got taxed, so it was financially draining on the people. And basically Yeravam he, he just he rakes him out over this and he hollers at him, how can you do this to the people? And the way the Pasuk describes it, it says, Upon this issue. Yeravam lifted his hand to the king Shlomo. Okay, the Talmud comments on that, that lifting his hand means he removed his tefillin. All right, and this is going to have some significance down the road. So Yeravam approaches Shlomo HaMelech. He reprimands him for this controversial political move. In doing so, he removes his tefillin. And the next thing we know is... As follows. Shlomo dies. His son Rechavim takes his place. And at this point, Rechavim wants to be coronated as king. He travels to the city of Shechem, which we know the city of Shechem. That's a biblical city. Um, right? There's a lot of history to the city of Shechem. He travels there for the inauguration. But then enters Yeravim together with the entirety of the Jewish people, and they say, "No dice. You are not being the king, unless you acquiesce to our demands." And they basically repeated their grievances about this about this political move that was taxing on the people. And they told Rechavam, "You cannot fulfill your father's place as king of the Jewish people unless you retract um, these policies." Rechavim then seeks guidance by the elder advisors and they tell him that he should listen to the people. And then he goes to the younger advisors and they say, absolutely not, do not listen to the people. And here's what they say. Not only should you not listen to the people, you should tell them, my father came at you, avi uh, yisar my father came at you, I'm not sure what their shotim means exactly, he came at you with some sort of power of influence. ayasar ayaser and I will come at you with scorpions that's your, That should be your message To the Jewish people And that's what he did Rechavam, son of Shlomo Melech Responded to Yeravam's demands By saying, I am going to attack you guys With scorpions If you continue um, If you continue your rebellion Okay, it was a bad move On Rechavam's part What happened next was That the Jewish people basically said Alright then, you're not our king and they crowned Yeravim as their king. So now there's like an all-out war within the Jewish people. Ten tribes are with Yeravim. Obviously, that's the vast majority. Two tribes remain with Rechavim in Jerusalem. Now, all of this is really in line with the prophecy that God had issued to Shlomo Amal. He said, I'm going to tear the kingship away from you, and that's what happened. So, so far, Yerophim really didn't do anything wrong. He was simply a divine messenger. But then things got really out of hand. The holiday of Sukkot was coming, and it was a a Sukkot that's just like ours, meaning it was the year following Shemitah. In the year following Shemitah on Sukkot, there's a very special event called HaKel, which is that the entirety of the Jewish people, men, women, and children, gather in the Beis HaMikdash, And the king reads the Torah to them. That happens once every seven years. Yeravim starts freaking out as Sukkot approaches because he knows that all the Jews in his jurisdiction, all the Jews living in Shechem or elsewhere, are going to travel to Yerushalayim where Rechavim is located. And they are going to witness this incredible event of the entire Jewish people hearing the king Rechavim read the Torah. And they're going to be impressed by it, and it's going to undermine Yeravam's entire, uh, his entire, you know, rebellious or opposing kingdom. This fear completely overwhelms Yeravam, and he does what seems to be the most irrational thing one can imagine. He erects two golden calves and puts them in two cities. Uh, I guess near where he was situated. He moved the holiday of Sukkis away from Tishrei into the month of Cheshvan, our month. And he said, everyone from now on, Sukkis is in Cheshvan. It's not in Tishrei. And we are not going to go to the base of Mikdash. We're going to worship these two calves that are right here in our own backyard. And that was the great sin of Yeravam ben Nevat. And forever he goes down in history as one of the, the great sinners of Israel. So that, in a nutshell, is is the horrifically tragic story of Yeravam ben Nevat, Rabbi. Will be do you have anything to add or, or questions? So, so
0: this is this is this is the great secession when the northern tribes of of Israel break away from the southern tribes of Judah, and that continues until we have you know the ten lost tribes, where those ten lost tribe, where those ten tribes are captured and sent to uh, uh, to parts unknown by Sancheirov. But this is where it starts. The two confusingly similarly named individuals become king, Solomon's son, Rechavam, Solomon's, as you call it, affiliate, Yeravam, or Jerobam, and, uh, and then it somehow relates to our month. Uh, he's going to come out with, a, he, Rechavam says I'm going to come out, y'all, with scorpions, and he moves the month of Sukkot, or the festival full to the eighth month.
1: Excellent. Right. So you already hear that you know we're heading somewhere. In other other words, we already see there's got to be some significance to this month if he's choosing it to be the month in which he sees as the the prime time to undermine and and claim ownership over the entire kingdom of the Jewish people. He he chooses Cheshvan to be that month, and again, again, it's in response to uh, it's in in, in response to Rechavam's threat to come at him with scorpions. So we're seeing the scorpion, month of Cheshvan correlation, and it, it certainly means something. But I have uh, five specific questions that I want to ask before moving on. And that is, we mentioned that Yeravim removed his tefillin. He, right, he lifted his hand and the Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin um, that that means he, he um, removed his tefillin. What does that mean? What does that signify? Uh, this
0: is again, this is when he was castigating yes, Solomon. Sal- right. He was, for, the, for the taxes. Right. So he removed his tefillin.
1: Okay, a very important question here, a glaring question, is why did Rechavam travel to Shechem to be coronated? That doesn't seem to make any sort of sense. Because the, the, the city, the capital of Israel, always was Yerushalayim, and that's where he lived, and that's where the kingdom was, and that's where the kingdom always was and always should remain. So why on earth would you travel all the way to Shechem which is not even in the territory of Yehudah, it's in the territory of Yosef, for the coronation. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Okay. My third question, I we already asked, is what is what is the meaning of these scorpions that Rechavim is going to come out with? Okay, what is it about the Hakel experience that totally freaks Yeruvim out? Like, why couldn't he just be cool and say, alright, you know, We all know the score, right? I'm a king over 10 tribes. He's a king over two tribes. He's got Yerushalayim, so he's got the base of Mekdash. I mean, what's so terrifying about the fact that they're going to go to the base of Mekdash and and watch Hakel? Why does he feel like that will completely overthrow his mission? And then I want to point, there's a very subtle terminology in the verse, which I don't know if I read to you earlier. It says that when he moved the holiday of Sukkis over to Uh, the month of Cheshvan, it refers to it as the month that he just like blurted out from his heart. I don't know, the word Bada is a very, very strange word, but basically it's a month that came from his heart. Very obscure term, and I'd like to try to understand um, what it all means. All right, Rabbi Wilby?
0: I love it. So we have five questions. Let's begin. What do we got? I'm going
1: to quote from a very great uh, a rabbi and Kabbalist who was actually Rabbi Wolby's ancestor, and that is the Megala Amukos. Right? His name was Rav Nasanata Shapiro, uh, and he is where Rabbi Wolby gets all his brains from. Um, the Megala Amukos reveals something uh, very fascinating. And that is, if we recall this story in Parshish Vayeshev, one of the most famous biblical stories of Uh, Yosef and his brothers right? Yosef and the multicolored coat So we know that Yosef has these dreams, he tells them to his brothers His brothers aren't all too happy about them And they try to kill him And they say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't Kill him, let's just throw him into a pit Full of deadly snakes and scorpions And they do that And we know the rest of the story is that they pull him out And send him to Mitzrayim That's really uh, the the very beginning Of of Gullah's Mitzrayim But the big question is, why did the brothers feel that Yosef was deserving of death? That's the big question. What did he do that was so terrible? And the Megalomukos tells us that what the brothers saw when they looked at Yosef was they saw Yerovan Benavat, Yosef's descendant, Yeravan Benavat, who rebelled against the kingdom of David, the Malchus based David, they saw Yosef going through those motions. Right, and and that's actually explicit in the verse, right? Because when he tells them about his dreams, about uh, you know the stars you know, bowing down to him or the the grain bowing down to him, they say to him, "Hamaloch, Tim Are you going to, um, are you going to be, uh, become the king over us?" And there was there was a depth there, meaning they really accused him of doing exactly what Yeruvam did, which is robbing the kingship away from away from where it rightly belongs. It rightly belongs in Yehuda with David, and Yeruvam tried to steal it away, and they felt that Yosef was doing the same thing. So they felt like Yosef was on the exact same track that Yeruvam was on, and that is why they wanted to kill him. Now another very interesting correlation, which is an, an easy one to make, is that both of them happened in Shechem, right, we know the story of Yosef and his brother happened in Shechem that's an explicit verse he went down to Shechem and Rashi even points out that Shechem is, has a really bad track record that is where the brothers sold Yosef that is where the story of Dina where Dina was was kidnapped and raped by Shechem and that is where the divide in the uh, Malchus based David in, um, that's where it occurred, so we see that this correlation between Yeravim and Yosef is actually striking. They, they seem to be almost going through the same motions and in the exact same place. Okay, so now we know that there is some sort of connection between Yosef and Yeravim. And that means we have to understand Yeravim on a slightly deeper level. And to do that, we're going to take a look at the Yalka Ruveni, who brings down something chilling, he says that Moshe Rabinu Davin to Hashem, that Yeruvim ben Avot should be removed from the world. Get Yeruvim out of here. He causes too much trouble. Because, right, Moshe Rabbeinu was obviously a prophet. He saw into the future. He saw the kind of catastrophe that Yeruvim would bring on to the whole Jewish people, how you tear them apart, and he daven that Hashem, should remove him. And Hashem responded, No, I will not do that. He says that. Yeravam will ultimately return. Yeravam will be misukan; he'll be fixed, and he will be Mashiach ben Yosef. And this is alluded to in the verse that we're gonna re- that we read in Parshas Vezosah Bracha. It says, bishur So it says the Yalkut B'oveni, that the words melech behesasef racheam yachad is rache tevos yeravam. So again, that verse means there will be a, there will be a king in Israel. This when all of the leaders of the nation gathered together, yachad Israel, and there's absolute unity amongst the tribes of Israel, um, then there will be a king, and the the Rashi tables of those words spell Yeravim. So from there you see that even though he failed once, he will ultimately succeed. So Mashiach ben Yosef. Who we we know we're taught that there's there's really two messiahs right there's the Mashiach ben David who's the, the primary Messiah he will be the king when Mashiach comes with the third base meklash but um, kind of ushering him in ushering in that era is another Mashiach called Mashiach ben Yosef and that is the the soul of Yeravam ben Nevat Rabbi Will is this clear and understandable.
0: Uh, it is. It is. It's. Uh, it's very interesting. I'm. I'm. I'm trying to see where you're going with this, but uh, absolutely amazing, the connection between Joseph and Jeroboam and the terrible events that happen in Shechem and how it's kind of uh, designated for for tragedy. That's where the Davidic monarchy is going to be undone. That's where Joseph is going to get sold, and the brothers when they looked at Joseph and they thought that he's trying to steal the monarchy. They actually kind of intuited Joseph's uh, great-great-great-great-great-grandson, who is Yerobam, who did the same thing. So that, that's what they're worried about. But then we're told that um, there's going to be the reclamation of Jerobam. He's going to have a, a, a second uh, appearance as, a good, I guess, the good version of him in the uh, in the Messiah, the Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah from Joseph, who's going to kind of herald in the era of, of of the actual Messiah, Messiah ben David from the tribe of Judah. So it's been more like a complimentary.
1: Great. So now, on the topic of this Moshiach ben Yosef, Moshiach ben David, we know, we don't know a lot. I know these are obviously very mysterious topics. Uh, Hopefully we'll get to understand them soon. Uh, But right now, these are all shrouded in mystery. But there is a prophecy in Yechezko, which we read as the Haftorah in Parshas Vayigash, which you can't help but notice that it's, it's clearly alluding to something that's going to be going on um, in the Messianic era. And, and what it says is like this. Hashem speaks to Echazko. And he says, Va'ata ben Adam, you, ben Adam, human being, take for yourself an eitz, a piece of wood, and write on it Yehuda. Uchsova love Yehuda. Belavne Yisrael. Then take another piece of wood. Etz achat. Take a piece of wood and write, "This one's for Yehuda." Take another one and write, "This one's for Yosef." Then the next verse says, Then bring them together, one to the other, And they should become one in your hand. So you can, you can get, figure this out yourself, but the malbim lays it out very clearly, that this is referring to Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David. And each one is its own, each, each one is, is kind of its own universe, and ultimately, at the end of times, they will be brought together. So what we know here is that there's this Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David. They seem to be somewhat incompatible with each other, but ultimately, there will be a coming together of sorts, and there will be la biyadacha. There will be one in your hand. Okay, so now we have to understand what is it about Mosheh ben Yosef versus Mosheh ben David that makes it so difficult to unite the two? The Maral in Netzach Yisrael, in chapter thirty-seven, explains that each Meshiach has its own function, and in his words, he says. That the the breakdown is as follows. The Haim um, keneged. Oh, sorry. He says. He says like this that the Mashiach ben David corresponds to the head. So Yehuda is the head. Yehuda is corresponds to the head. And Yosef is the heart Yehuda is the head And Yosef is the heart And he says that Typically all of the limbs of your body Are going to unite around the heart right? The head is kind of aloof It's above all of it But the heart is It's kind of with the people right? It's there with, It's within the body It's encased within the body and the natural course of events is that all of the limbs of the body will unite around the heart. So he says that Mashiach ben Yosef is the heart. And naturally the Jewish people will gravitate towards it. And he says it will only be when the Jewish people reach a high level of spiritual uh, aspiration or, or spiritual um, of spiritual accomplishment that they will be able to relate to Moshiach ben David which is above all of that which is the head so there's this tension division between the heart and the head and that's the division between Moshiach ben David and Moshiach ben Yosef so the reason why Yeravim who is clearly the more popular of the two right, 10 out of 12 followed Yeravim is because he was the heart of the Jewish people Whereas Rehavam and Shlomo and David and that whole dynasty were, they were the heads of the Jewish people, and that's the friction that we are dealing with here, and that's the friction that's going to have to be resolved when Mashiach comes. Does that make sense,
0: Rabbi i uh, It does. It does. Yes. the The tension that exists over here is that we have uh, the heart, and that's that's Joseph, and that's. If if we're not operating at such a cognitive level, you know the, the head is much more lofty, it's much more spiritual, it's much more uh distinct and removed, and therefore by default, we're gonna gravitate towards the heart, we're gonna gravitate towards towards Joseph and Mashiach Ben Yosef and Yeravam, who's from that uh, from that uh, side of the family. And only once we become very kind of supernally spiritual and we start to be governed by the brain, so to speak, then there's going to be the coalescence around uh, Mashiach ben David from the tribe of Judah from that, uh, from that family.
1: Okay, excellent. Now, we know there's a principle that Zelu uh, umas kim. So whenever you have a concept of any sort um, on a positive dimension, that same idea will exist in a negative dimension. So we have here uh, a Mashiach ben Yosef, which is represented by the heart, and a Mashiach ben David that's represented by the mind. What is, what is the, um, I guess, the opposing force that represents those two concepts on, on um, what we'd call the sitra achara, on the other side? What's the heart and the mind of the other side? So here is what I think. There is a, a law that the Kohen Gadol has to wear a choshen, right? Rabbi, Wobie, what's a khoshen? A, a breastplate, right? A breastplate. Okay. And what does the verse tell us about the breastplate? It has to be situated in a very specific place, and it can never move from that place. Rabbi, Wobie, the low yizach ha I forgot the exact term of the verse. From his heart. From his heart, right? The, the breastplate may never, ever be removed from the Kohen Gadol's heart. Now, I saw several commentaries um, make the following comment, which is that the word Choshen is the letters Ches shinnun is the exact same letters as the word Nachash, serpent. And the reason why the Choshen can uh, can never move from the heart is because the Choshen is there to rectify what the serpent did. So all the way back in time, um, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent was the one who instigated all of sin. And he did that um, by manipulating the heart, right? So he brought all kinds of, of foreign desires um, into into man. And, the, and he led man's heart astray. And that gets rectified through the Choshen, which is the same letters as Nachash. And therefore, it can never leave the heart. So if you were to ask me what represents the heart of evil... I would say the Nachash, right? Now, the snake. If you were to ask me what represents the mind of evil, I would point you to a a Vilna Gom, which I found um, I found it in Parshas Mishpatim, but it was just being quoted, so I don't know where it's originally written. And he writes that we are taught that the Akrev, the scorpion, is more potent than the Nachash. And he explains that the word akrave is the letters of bi-ichir. Even though it's missing a yud. But the word Be'ikr. So there's a term called a bit bi'ikr, Which means a, a, a heretic of the highest level. Someone who denies God's existence. But he really denies it. He says the akrave represents the bit Be'ikr. And that's worse than the Nachash. Why? So I think it's because the Nachash is someone who leads your heart astray. So... You know, it's it's a tough world out there, and there's a lot of challenges that that can overwhelm your emotion, and many of us succumb to those temptations every now and again. That's not good, but it will never make you a kofar To be a kofar a heretic, you have to intellectually deny God. It's an intellectual pursuit, which is much worse than an emotional one. So, if you were to ask me what represents the mind, you know, on the other side, on the, on the evil side, I would say the Akraif. So the force of Nachash and Akraif is really the force of Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David. What Moshiach ben Yosef is for Kedusha, the Nachash is for Tumah. What Moshiach ben David is for Kedusha, the Akraif is for Tumah. Okay, so now let's go back to the story with, with Yosef and his brothers. They throw him into a pit now here's a question that I've had since like kindergarten which is they say we don't want to kill him that's not nice who wants to kill their brother we're just going to take him and throw him into a pit that's full of poisonous snakes and scorpions well that's not so helpful um here is what I think and I think this is a really cool answer snakes and scorpions mean spiritual snakes and scorpions and here's what happens when Yosef and Yehuda are together, when Sheikh, ben Yosef and ben David are together, their forces are together. The power of their opposing forces, the snake and the scorpion, cannot exist, because for the sitra achra, for the other side to have any sort of power influence, it needs to be in a vacuum where spirituality, where positive spirituality, should have been. This is a basic principle in Kabbalah, where there is Kiddush, kedusha will dispel. Right? Light dispels dark. Dark does not dispel light, right? If you open up, if you have a room that's light and a room that's dark, you open the door, the dark will become light, not vice versa. So the dark side cannot influence the light side. The light side can influence the dark side. So if snakes and scorpions, which are coming from the dark side, are coming into existence, that means there's some sort of vacuum in the Kedusha. And what happened was like this. So long as Yosef and Yehuda were together as brothers, that pit did not have snakes and scorpions in it, because the snakes and scorpions had no place. Snakes and scorpions are the corresponding force of Yosef and Yehuda. The moment they threw Yosef into the pit, and they severed their ties with Yosef, and now there's an absolute divide between Yosef and Yehuda, the snakes and the scorpions came into existence. That is what I think. Does that is
0: that not absolutely brilliant of it will be? <laughs> it, it, it is. What can I say? <laughs> so they materialized uh, once the once the break, uh, the schism between Joseph and, and Judah, who was the one who threw him into the pit. Really, he, he was the mastermind of that. Right. So once that happens, then then now the the verse tells us that they threw him into the pit with no water, no water. Well, there's no water in it, but there are st- snakes and scorpions. That's kind of to indicate this this divide, this separation between, uh, between these two these two titans.
1: Now, the same thing happened with Uravim and Rechavim, right? There's this divide between Yosef and Yehuda, And it happens in the month of Cheshven. Now, this is going to be really cool. We know that the last time that happened with Yosef and his brothers, what came into being was Nechashem ve'akravim. On the month of Cheshven, whose zodiac sign is Akrev, think of the word Cheshvan, chesh shin vav, nun. If I were to rearrange those letters, it would say, Nachosh-V, right? Nachosh and Avav. So if I were to say, the month and its governing zodiac sign, it would be Nachosh-V-Akrev, right? Those letters are there. Cheshvan-Akrev is Nachosh-V-Akrev. Those come into existence, those powers come into existence during this time, in this month, Specifically because that's when there was this divide between Yeravim, i.e. Mashiach ben Yosef, and Rechavim, i.e. Mashiach ben David. So this month, and it's, it's a zodiac sign, are the Nechashim and Akravim that lived in that bar. They are what come into existence when Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David do not operate the way they should.
0: In what month did the brother sell Yosef? Oh, I wish I knew. Do we know?
1: I wish I knew. I don't know. But. Say it's if
0: you had to guess, it was the month of Cheshvan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, another very
1: obscure part of that story of the Nechashim and the Akravim is where did the rabbis get that from? So this is one of the most perplexing uh, drushos. The, the verse says they threw him into a pit that had no water in it. <speaking> in <Hebrew> okay, which that in itself is a, is a strange redundancy. It was empty and it had no water. Okay, obviously. And Chazal say something bizarre. They say, "Oh, there's no water. There must have been snakes and scorpions, right?" Mayam einbo, yeshbo. There was no water. There must have been snakes and scorpions. And from there, we learn that Yosef uh, was in this dangerous pit that was full of snakes and scorpions. So, what in the world? How did they make? How did they derive that? You could say there was no water, and therefore there was baseball bats and hockey sticks, right? I mean. How do you know there's no water? Therefore, there's snakes and scorpions. So, listen to this. This is this is absolutely incredible. You guys are going to be the only people on planet Earth who are going to truly understand this Chazal. There is a Medrash in a Medrash Tadchumen Parshas Bereishis. We just uh, just this last week's parsha, and it quotes a verse in Yeshaya that says, "Ashrechem zore al kol pneyim al kol Praiseworthy are are those who plant upon the water, mishal hashar and they I don't even know how to translate. They escort the foot of the of the ox and the donkey. Okay, strange sounding verse says the medrash. Who are these planters upon the water? Elu oskei torah shenimshalu lamayim. That is a metaphor for people who learn Torah. Ashrechem zarei al mayim are people who learn Torah. Great. Right. Who's this Shar and Hamar? Mishalchei Regal has Shar. Zeh Mashiach ben Yosef. Escorters of the ox is referring to Mashiach ben Yosef. Who, cause, because Yosef is always referred to as a Shar. Many times in the verse. Bechar, Shar, Haderlo. Berzonam, Ikru, Shar. Yosef is frequently referred to as an ox. Vachamar, says the Majors, Zeh Mashiach ben David. This is mind-blowing. What it's saying is like this. Mine. Praiseworthy are those who plant upon the water, i.e. those who study Torah. Those people are escorting the Shah together with the Hamar. Mashiach ben Yosef together with Mashiach ben David. What they're saying here is, when you have water, when you have Torah, then you have a unity between the Shah and the Hamar. You have a unity between Mashaykh bin Yosef and Mashaykh bin David. That's what this measure is telling you. There's no way around that. So, what really the measure is revealing to us is how do you have a divide between Mashaykh bin Yosef and Mashaykh bin David? When there is an absence of water. When there is an absence of Torah, there's the divide between the shar and the Khamar. When the Torah is there, then you have Mishalchi regal Cheregal Asharba you have the unity of Mashaykh bin Yosef and Mashaykh bin David. The habar reik en bomayim means there was a lack of Torah. There was a lack of Torah that means there's a lack of unity between Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David. That says the Medrash. Says Chazal, really? There's a lack of unity between Yosef and, and David. So you know what that means? That means there must have been snakes and scorpions. Because that's what happens. When you lose the, the, the power in the good side, that allows space for the, pa- the opposing power in, in, in the evil side, in the sitra achra to come into fruition. So that's what happens. There's no mayim, there's no Torah. You lose the unity of the shah and the chamar, and in comes the nachash v'akri. Rabbi Wilby, do you understand?
0: Absolute, absolute genius. What can we say? You
1: guys, how many what people are say? on the show? Like six? Bravo.
0: <laughs> so like six people Bravo. on planet
1: Earth understand Finally.
0: So far, but we're going to publicize it. (laughs) Hopefully.
1: (laughs) Okay, but now let's try to understand this. Why? Why does Torah have that power?
0: Why does Torah have the power? Torah is the glue. Torah is the the key. Torah is the
1: answer to to resolving this tension between Yosef and Yehuda. But why? So here's what I think, and this is very simple. Again, there's the, the Rosh, there's the head, and then there's the heart. And there's a division between the two. But there's a Gemara in Tainas, on Davdal and which says, if you see, Rava says, if you see a Talmud Chacham, who's getting really animated, he's getting really worked up, you know, don't think he's a temperamental guy. O Raisa Lei. It's the Torah that's heating him up. And here's the words of Rashi. I'm going to read to you. Sheyesh rochav leiv mitoch toraso, umesim lelibo yoser mishar ben he says, this Talmachachim, this learned man, his heart is wider. And he takes things to a heart with greater potency than other people do. Torah widens your heart. Now, Rabbi Wilby, I don't know about you, but when I learn, I don't put the Gemara on my chest, right? I look at it with my eyes, and my mind is what is processing the material in front of me. Torah, there's no question, begins as an intellectual pursuit. But somehow that has a direct impact on your heart, so much so that it opens it up. And as Rashi says, al-Chacham's <speaking in Hebrew> heart is bigger than anyone else's. It, the more Torah you have, the greater your heart is. So there's this direct conduit, there's this direct path between the mind and the heart that somehow Torah has access to. Okay. Having said all of that, let's go back to our questions. Yorovim removed his tefillin when presenting his opposition to Shlomo. He was Harim yado. That's the term the verse uses. Lifted his hand. Now, I don't want to argue with Rashi. I looked at Rashi uh, on the Gemara there. He does, definitely does not work with this Mahalach, but I think we could say our oh, no, novel Mahalach. We know that the tefillin Shalyad are supposed to be situated directly next to the heart. They have a direct impact on the heart. We are not allowed to talk between putting on a tefillin shalyad and a tefillin shal rosh because we have to have this connection. We're trying to forge this relationship between the heart and the mind because the tefillin shal rosh are connected the moach, they're connected the brain. Yeravim removed his tefillin shalyad. He was heirim yodo, I want to suggest. Even though it's not clear that it means the tefillin shalyad, I want to suggest it means the tefillin shalyad to say the heart is no longer with you. I am taking the heart with me. The tefillin shaliyah no longer belongs in your kingdom, it's coming with me. Why did Rechavim travel to Shechem to be coronated?
0: Well, I, I think you could say regardless, whichever tefillin he took off, there's a separation There's a separation, there. that's true. One tefillin right. is on, one tefillin is on, one's off.
1: Exactly, one's on. Okay, you're right, you could say it either way. Why did Rechavim travel to Shechem to be coronated? That was, that's a really big question. I say, Rehavim knew exactly what's going on. He knew that what he was going through with this divide between him and Yeravim was really rooted in the fight of Yosef and his brothers. And that happened in Shechem. So he said, look, the divide between Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David began in Shechem. And I want to, I want to make amends. I want to go back to where it started. And that way we can fix, we can fix this. Right, because what what Yerovam's doing isn't new. It was really what happened back in the day with Yosef and his brothers. And so, if I want to make it better, if I want to correct that mistake, then I have to go back there because that's where it all started. What did Rechava mean when he said, "If you guys don't get out of here, I am going to come at you with scorpions"? I think this is fascinating. Of course, he's going to come at them with scorpions. What he's telling him is like this if you rebel against me. So there's going to be a divide between Mashiach Ben Yosef and Mashiach Ben David, and we all know what's going to happen. Nachashim and Akravim are going to come into being. Because that's what happens. In the vacuum, Mashiach Ben Yosef and Mashiach Ben David comes Nechashim and Akravim. Okay, now, how does that line itself up? The Mashiach Ben Yosef people will get the Nahash. the Mashiach Ben David people will get the, the scorpion. And the scorpion is more powerful than the Nachash we know. So Rachavim says, you guys are idiots. If you fight with me, all that means is that I'm going to get the power of the scorpion and I'll kill you. And that's what he means that he's going to come at them with scorpions. Why was Yeravam so terrified of the Hakel experience? I think the answer is because Hakel, and Hutner speaks about this a lot, Hakel was really kind of like a, a repetition Of the entire Matan Torah. The entirety of the Jewish people come. Everyone comes. Man, woman, and child. Even an infant, a newborn comes. To hear Torah. It is the greatest, most awesome. Torah study. Moment. Moment of Torah study. Ever. uh, Ever for the Jewish people to experience. It's once every seven years. And listen to the words of the Chenoch. He says. That they come. L'shmo adivrei Torah. To hear the words of Torah, he called Ekareno v'Hodeno v'Sefarteno, the Akol and everyone takes the Torah at that moment because it's just such an incredibly overwhelming moment of unity, and they take it to their heart. So I think what Yeravam knew was that this Torah was going to overwhelm everything, because he wanted to be a king, and the moment the mind is able to connect with the heart through the power of Torah, so the mind will overrule the heart. Right? Because once you have Moshiach ben Yosef and ben David together, ultimately it's going to be Moshiach ben David that's going to be the primary king. right? We all know that. Ultimately it's Moshiach ben David that's the primary king. Moshiach ben Yosef is only so long as it's not united with Moshiach ben David. But he knew that the, to- the, the force of the Torah would be so powerful at HaKel that there will be no way he could ever overcome it. So at all costs he had to stop HaKel. And the way the verse refers to the month of Cheshven, he says, a mi libo. It's the month that came from his heart. And we asked, like, that's a weird way to refer to it, but it's not a weird way to refer to it at all. It was the month of his heart. Meaning, he was creating like a new hakel. That's not a hakel of the mind, it's a hakel of the heart, because we don't want the mind. The mind is Mashiach ben David, and I am the Mashiach ben Yosef king. So it was the Chodesh of Libo. And we mentioned the Bnei Saskhar at the beginning that the Beis HaMikdash is going to be rebuilt in the month of Cheshven. And I think it's because the month of Cheshven is when this all went down, right? This is when the divide between Moshiach Ben Yosef and Sheikh David happened. But that's also when the Tikkun will happen. That's when we're going to correct this mistake and bring Moshiach Ben Yosef and Moshiach Ben David back together and allow for the Beis HaMikdash to be rebuilt. And how do we bring them back together? As we said earlier, it's only when there's a lack of Torah that we allow for this divide to happen. But through Limera Torah, through Hakel, through studying Torah, and through a renewed commitment to Torah, that's how you bring the mind and the heart together and allow for Mashiach to come in its totality. May that be. Wow,
0: absolutely genius. Bravo. It was an incredible presentation, and I love that the bottom line is gotta study torah with great intensity, and that's the theme of the month you know this is the month where we begin the 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 depths of the winter we're going to change the clock because it's going to get nice and dark, and that's what we do we burn the mid we burn the midnight oil uh of of Torah study, and that's how we uh repair and uh, mend uh, the the grand divide. That's how we take those two sticks, those two blocks of wood, and and fuse them back together. I had a few thoughts here, just as as you're speaking, that I would just run run your way. The Talmud says, I believe, that every Talmachacham, every Torah scholar, no that does not avenge, does not take revenge like a serpent like a snake is not a tamachachim. So I think that might maybe germane to your point, maybe if I could make some commentary, that um if the you know the the heart corresponds to the you know to, to Joseph and to the snake, and someone's a Torah scholar, but if it's just in their head, it's just in the Yehuda realm, it's just in the Contra Scorpion realm. And they don't actually bring it down to the heart. It's not a full, not, they can't be classified as a full as a full Torah scholar because they're lacking a critical component. That was just one idea I wanted to add here. And then I, I was also reminded, we know that Messiah, the whole idea of Messiah is the, is the fusion of these two components of our nation that have been broken apart. If I'm not mistaken, I actually looked it up over here as you were speaking the Talmud says that there are three things that come behesachadas that come when people are not paying attention, and one of them is Messiah, and another one, it seems totally out of place, is the Akrov, is is the Scorpio. Oh wow, that's great. Oh, that's great. Uh, there you go. I'm happy to oh, something come here. On. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I missed that. Uh, it's the layup. You missed the layup. Yeah, ninety-seven A in the book of Sanhedrin. That is that and, is upsetting. Uh, okay, three come. Have to. We have to re-record this. What can we say? Yeah. Three come. Well, I, I hope you're still recording. Um, can't three, you can't put. It, you can't like. Come. Yeah, I'm still recording. I'm still recording. But no one's listening anymore. Everyone's already turned tuned out. <laughs> it's the old joke. Everyone's already tuned out. Uh, this was uh, absolutely exquisite. Um, this is the the month. But wait, why would it be the month of Akrav? It's the month of of the of of the scorpion because that's what's going to be unleashed. That's what gets unleashed when these two are, are separated. Is that how we're reading it?
1: Yeah, but it's also cheshvan, which is nachash veh. So, in other words, there's both.
0: Oh, okay, it's both, it's both, it's both. Now, isn't there another name for, isn't it, is it also called mar cheshvan? Right, so that's a good
1: question. So, Sean, just messaged me that question. Um, I, I, I don't know, this whole mar thing really drives me crazy. It's actually more of a halachic problem. You know that, because when you read aksubah or, or, you know, a get, you have to know is it cheshvan or mar cheshvan. I, it's it's a complicated. It's actually a very technical discussion. It's, it's we are this. Apparently, the many say that the month is really Merech shvan, which is like Persian for the eighth month. Um, so it's not even Mar Shvan, It's Merech Shvan. But,
0: uh, but can, can we can we maybe say can we maybe speculate that you know we said that the word Cheshvan is Nachash Ve or the letters if you unscramble them it's also the letters Choshen right Choshen right. Exactly with a vote, and maybe right. what we could say is that you know is, is that there's a Mar Mar means bitter, right?' There's, there's the, right now we're in the bitter version of this month because we're still living in the world of the schism, and therefore it's mar. but it's not really the name. We know that the ultimate destiny of this month is for the fusion, the rectification, and the reunion of of these disparate parts. right. OK. I'll take it. Total speculation. Wow, this was incredible. I I want to do this now for next month. Um, Thank you so much, Rabbi Botnik, uh, for this uh, exquisite presentation. I'm going to have to, uh, once I gather my brains from the floor, and I'm going to go through the notes that you sent me (laughs) and uh, piece it all together. Uh, Absolutely exquisite, wonderful. I thank you so much for uh, coming and sharing your amazing teachings with us. Uh, Your email address from last time, it's still the same email address? I believe so, yeah. What was that? Remind me.
1: <laughs> My name, so B-O-T-N-I-C-K, uh, followed by letters Bynerk. S-M, like Sam and
0: Michael or whatever. Mark Hashman. Mark Hashman. <laughs> A- at, uh, at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Send, send all your questions to him because I don't have any answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your questions and your comments.